Welcome to the Feisty Women's Performance Podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Gross, Ironman champion, PhD in women's history, and founder and CEO of Feisty Media. I started this show because I wanted to cut through the BS of diet culture and fitness culture and actually learn from high achieving women at the top of their game who have figured out how to feel and perform their best at every stage of life. So I chat with experts, elite athletes, and leaders who have learned to succeed despite the massive gender data gap in exercise and medical science and product development. Every episode is filled with information, advice, and anecdotes that will help you fulfill your potential as an athlete, mom, leader, or business owner. And listen up. If you don't subscribe to our women's performance newsletter, you are definitely missing out. It's totally free. So head over to womensperformance.com and subscribe now. That's womensperformance.com. This podcast is a production of Feisty Media. Hello, Feisties. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Women's Performance Podcast. Today's guest is basically paving the future for how we understand muscle, muscle repair, and how we stop muscle degeneration, which is something we all need as we age. Sylvia Blemker is a professor of biomedical engineering, mechanical and aerospace engineering, and orthopedic surgery. And as if that isn't enough, she is also the founder of Springbok Analytics, a company that uses AI-powered technology to deliver insights for muscle health, performance, and longevity. Sylvia is also someone who noticed early in her career that most of the science and therefore information we have about human muscles in particular is based on data from male subjects and simply scaled down to apply to women, a model that we know does not work. Today, Sylvia and I chat about her research projects, how sex differences affect every part of our bodies from movement and coordination to our muscles, cells, and their molecules. We also talk about how AI is creating rapid change for women's health and sports performance and why women, on average, have better calves. I mean, it's science. Can't argue with science. Hi, Sylvia. Welcome to the podcast. Hi. Good to see you. Thanks for having me. No problem at all. I'm excited to talk to you. I was, you know, reading all about you last night, the things I could find online, and I'm so interested to learn about more about your work. Um, But first, you were a dancer growing up. Am I right about that? Correct. Yep. Yep. Ballet mainly. Oh, amazing. And do you still have like, do you still have an outlet for movement in your life right now? I do. I do. I, I don't really do ballet anymore, sadly. Um, but I uh, play tennis. I love playing tennis now. It's kind of I took it up uh, in my early 40s. And, and now that's uh, kind of my favorite uh, hobby. Yeah, cool. And is uh, biomedical engineering. Okay, it's such an interesting field. I, you know, we used to have someone who worked for Feisty Media who was a biomedical engineer. And to be really honest, I'm not entirely sure what she did. So, so first of all, what is biomedical engineering? I like to break apart the term. I think it helps understand it because it brings together lots of things, which I think is what 
a lot of people love about it. So biomedical engineering. So bio is really kind of, obviously bio means life. So, um, and so we study biology, life, living things. Uh, medical is obviously all related to human health. So we're interested in um, leveraging understanding of biology to um, improve, improve human health. And then the engineering is really bringing in that problem solving aspect. Um, also some physics, math, and science. So we kind of leverage engineering concepts to uh, solve problems in human health. It's kind of uh, the way I uh, broadly define it. So that could mean so many different things, like from, you know, genetic engineering, uh, or uh, so-called regenerative medicine, coming up with new ways to build new, uh, regenerate tissues, build new organs, or, um, you know, a lot of people think about uh, prosthetic design is a good example. A lot of people, the students actually get interested in biomedical engineering, thinking about that because it's a clearly an engineering design problem to help people with their movement. Um, I personally study um, uh, muscle biomechanics. So I'm really interested in understanding how muscles work um, and why they don't work or what makes them work really well. Um, and muscle super complicated. There's a lot of biology there, but a lot of physics uh, involved in how muscle contracts and moves, uh, helps us move. So bringing in engineering uh, tools helps us really understand that better. We've built um, computer models of muscle. We also develop new ways to study muscle, to quantify it, to understand how it's working. So, hmm. Yeah. And as I understand, some of your research can be applied to um, folks who are, who have various diseases or who have like chronic illness, but also to elite athletes, like it runs the gamut that way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I actually find um, in some ways that helps us uh, understand the system better to, to know the whole range. So going from disease to healthy to, um, to kind of super performing in a way. And, you know, the other, other way I think about it is, um, and I think this is like one of Nike's slogans, which I really appreciate. Everybody's an athlete. Mm -hmm. So whether uh, you have a muscle disease or you have, uh, you know, you're recovering from an injury or you're an elite athlete or you're, you know, a 40 something year old female tennis player, we all <laughs> care about our movement. And uh, we, uh, and so that's kind of the way I think about it in terms of the application of what I'm doing and why having such a broad range makes sense. Yeah. And how did you, how did you find this interest? Like, how did you get into this field? Uh, yeah. So actually, um, I kind of wanted, I think when I was younger, I, uh, when I was young, I thought, um, anatomy was really interesting. Um, I used to have these models of different body parts. Uh, <laughs> I was a total nerd. Like I had an ear and a heart. My mom got me these different models that I had to put together. It's sort of like not a model car, but a model like organ. Um, <laughs> and uh, they were super cool. So I was really into that kind of thing. Uh, and, but I, I liked math and my, actually my father uh, was a mathematician. So we had like a lot of math in my family. Um, and physics. So then my mom got me this book called The Physics of Dance, because um, I loved dance, obviously, too. And that really got me thinking about like, looking at the human body in terms of math and physics, I thought that was really interesting and cool. And then, um, then I learned about biomedical engineering programs, they were actually, you know, when I was I started when I applied to college, um, biomedical engineering, uh, 
curricula or programs were pretty rare. There weren't that many around at that point. Um, but so I hadn't even heard of it really. Um, and, but I, I got a letter in the mail, like from a college, I think, you know, after you take the PSAT, um, you start getting letters of information. And this one college sent me this information about biomedical engineering. And I was like, what's that? Um, and, um, my parents really helped me sort of explore it a little bit more. That was before the internet. So there was, it was harder to learn more about new things like that, but, um, that's sort of, that's where I got started. I ended up studying BME as an undergrad and never looked back. Yeah. I didn't even realize it was an undergraduate degree. Yeah. Yeah. Most, I mean, uh, at that point it was rare, but now pretty much every major or even smaller engineering school has a, a biomedical engineering uh, program. And actually it's often the most popular uh, major of engineering. Huh. That's just my age showing through. I think I'm in my forties. Yeah. So yeah. I, I went to yeah. college in those years. It was like, what is that? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, but when I was in college, people would be like, what? But now it's like common, you know, I teach at university of Virginia, like mm-hmm. every kid will know what a BME is, you know, right. like it's, it's a normal now yeah right and that's so exciting right Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. but yeah tell us a little bit too about some of your research projects that you've worked on uh yeah that's it's a huge range um you know the themes are uh skeletal muscle um we do a lot of uh, computer modeling so essentially using math to better quantify how muscles working and and understand it better we use a lot of imaging um and different experiments in the lab um so a few example projects, um, we're really interested in um, muscle disease, in particular, various forms of muscular dystrophy, where um, there's a progressive degeneration of muscles. And uh, we're be- trying to better use our tools to better understand how that degeneration works, um, what that means in terms of the movement, how movement influences degeneration, and kind of that circular process, and ultimately coming up with new concepts to help inform new, uh, new therapies and treatments. Um, and then, uh, you know, that's on the muscle disease side. We've also, um, done a lot of uh, modeling of different muscles related to surgeries. So we are interested in using a model to say, oh, well, you know, uh, can we help use this model to simulate different surgeries and help um, surgeons come up with better ways to improve the, uh, their surgery, to improve the outcome from their surgery. Mm-hmm. Um, then uh, on the athlete performance, we've used um, our image modeling uh, tools to understand, number one, even like what muscles, muscle dis- distributions look like in athletes. Like, And even we have a cool paper that just came out where we compared uh, the muscle uh, volumes or the muscles across the whole leg in a whole bunch of different types of athletes and see if uh, we see trends in like which muscles tend to be more prominent in which types of athletes from we had sprinting sprinters we had um, baseball players basketball football uh, soccer um, so a whole range Um, and so what was interesting there was that you know it's kind of intuitive but we got a lot of the, into the detail of this, like what mattered more was more position than sport. So like specific football players look more like sprinters, uh, than, you know, and some baseball players look like sprinters, but not maybe more like football. Like, so they kind of mixed in terms of sport, but then in terms of position, we saw a lot of, um, 
some some consistency there. So right, super interesting. Is that the city where you found that women once and for all that women have better calves? Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we knew. <laughs> but we knew that. We yes, knew. But science. Yes, you can't argue with yes, science. Yes. <laughs> no, no. It, you know, it's actually one of my favorite things when we like spend all this time like studying something we have all these detailed questions and then you kind of zoom back out to the high level answer and it's like well anybody could have told you that um, <laughs> but it's still satisfying that we came up with an answer that's like but we you know we drill in a little bit more on it but um but uh no that was unfortunately you know uh, i have a um you know, obviously a strong interest at this point in understanding um, sex differences and understanding implications of that and kind of drilling into that on the muscle side. But that particular study admittedly was all, all male athletes. So, um, uh, yeah. Right. (laughs) Uh, So that's, uh, that's, that was a huge limitation of that. Um, And I can explain like, you know, there's a lot to, why we end up in those positions, that particular study, you know, it happened to be that, you know, we were leveraging in order to do that study, we were leveraging the networks that we had with the different UVA teams. And it just, and my colleague who had those connections happened to have those connections with the male uh, Mm -hmm. staff, the staff for the male teams. So that's kind of how it came to be. Um, But uh, so how yeah, and how it came to be has kind of been the way it has been sort of for a really long time. Like when did you mm-hmm. first notice yep. that we were like excluding women from these studies from studies broadly? And then that mm-hmm. when did you first think, oh, maybe that has an impact on our outcomes or an impact for women's health? Yeah, yeah. Um I don't so I think it's a combination of noticing it for my own st- work um mm-hmm. where you know you kind of like a lot that's so much of what we do is like okay this is what you do you know it's and um and when you're so focused on like if you know in these cases so focused on your specific questions um there's so much going on so much complexity in the research questions that whenever you can do something to make other aspects simpler that obviously makes the study more feasible, right? So like focusing on male was, that was really the answer why, like, because it's easier to do for multiple reasons. You don't have another variable. So that that's like decreases the number of samples you need by a half, mm-hmm. essentially. Um, and uh, also perhaps it's easier to recruit male subjects for this particular thing that this, that paper I was just describing is another good one. There's lots of reasons why, like, okay, within the confines of the resources that I have, like, this is the way to get this project done, which is good for a student, all these other things. Um, so, but notice kind of in doing that noticing like, oh, shoot, like that, this is what that means. So there was that piece um, that um, I definitely was starting to wear on me. Like, why are we doing that? We need to do better than that. Um, and then also, you know, you read the same thing, you read the literature and you don't really notice it for a while until you realize, oh, that's all male subjects or all that's male mice or male rats. It's all male. Um, and maybe they've justified it. Maybe they not, they haven't, but still it's all male. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think one, the one moment where it really like, for me actually kind of came all together, like I'd been noticing all that stuff came all together Mm-hmm. was uh actually a, I was just sitting at a conference I don't even remember what the specific conference was 
Um, and there was a, a student presenting a project on muscle. It was like a muscle physiology. They were looking detailed at muscle fibers and their property and had a specific question. Um, and they had, they used all male samples. Uh, I think it was from mice, I think. And um, I raised my hand. I was like, okay, well, what, you know, why all male samples? And it was a student, a graduate student standing there. And I, I was trying to, I don't like to be like mean to grad students and questions. I was really curious. <laughs> like, to be how are you guys? Yeah, yeah. Like I'd been thinking about this issue myself. So I'm like mm-hmm. starting to ask others, like what, what leads you to do this too? I really want to better understand this. And the student's answer, um, he was totally honest. He's like, well, that's just what you do. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay. So this is what like the next generation even thinks. It's like, mm-hmm. that's just what you do. Like, this is how you do it. And so um, I think that definitely that experience and the, all the things you just feel the fire of like, well, we don't have to do that. Um, and the truth is that we don't know, like, um, and, you know, and I will say there's been a lot of people uh, in, in, especially in the kind of biomechanics world who have been interested in sex differences for, for some time. So um, that's definitely been uh, something a lot of people study. I would say it's, it's oftentimes a little bit more peripheral or fringe, so to speak, um, uh, you know, and maybe motivated in specific areas like ACL injury, for example, we know that that's much more common in, in women than men, especially uh, like young women. So that's been an obviously an area of like figuring out why. Um, right. But uh, I will see in the mainstream world of biomechanics, it's it hadn't really kind of made its way in there. So it's like the world has been making conclusions about specific areas of like how movement works, how, what muscles do and all this kind of stuff but with underlying assumptions that have to do with just studying men. And so really like infusing that into like the broader community, I feel like um, was kind of what I was um, motivated by. As we head into summer, rest and recovery are critical for improving sports performance, reducing stress and living a long and healthy life. We should all invest in better sleep. So think about the thing you lay your head on for eight hours a night. If it's not exactly right for you, it can lead to needless tossing and turning or worse, have you waking up with an unrelenting kink in your neck. My new Lagoon pillow has helped me improve my sleep immensely by pairing me with the performance pillow that has everything I need. So I personally was matched with the Otter pillow shout out to team otter which i love because it has a gentle cooling effect and i was able to choose how much stuffing i wanted in it which is super important to me because i'm doing a decent amount of crossfit these days and my shoulders are kind of creaky so having a pillow that is stuffed just to the right height keeps my neck and head in exactly the right position and comfortable for the entire night And as of fall 2023, Lagoon launched their 100% mulberry silk pillowcases. It's cool to the touch, buttery soft, and great for your skin and hair. You've got to go check out this pillowcase if you want to feel great and look great every morning. Waking up for morning workouts has never felt better. I'm refreshed and pain-free thanks to my Lagoon pillow. To check it out for yourself, go to lagoonsleep.com forward slash performance and take the two minute sleep quiz to find your perfect 
pillow match and then use the code PERFORMANCE for 15% off your first purchase. That's code PERFORMANCE at lagoonsleep.com forward slash performance, whole 15% off, and the link is in the show notes. You can just click through there. As a lifelong runner and triathlete turned CrossFitter, I am stoked to announce that the athletic eyewear brand Tofosi Optics has joined us as a partner here at Feisty Media. Tofosi sports glasses hit all the marks for athletes. They are shatterproof poly bicarbonate, so the lenses not only reduce glare, but also offer scratch resistance, which I 100% need. They stay in place when you are moving. The hydrophilic rubber nose pads actually get more grippy the more you sweat, so they are secure and don't slide down your face even when you're running in hot conditions. No matter what sport you do, Tofosi has shades for you. Whether you love tennis, fishing, pickleball, running, cycling, or just hanging out on the beach. They are super reasonably priced, which I love, so I can have multiple pairs that go with any outfit. And of course, feisty listeners get a special discount. So head on over to defosioptics.com and use the code FM20. FM as in feisty media to get 20% off your order. That's FM20 at tofosioptics.com. I'll put a link in the show notes to make it easy for you. Can you explain a little bit about like how does including women in more in those studies like how does it create better outcomes because there are some ways where like we know that that some of those studies that are done on only men do have you know do have outcomes that can be applied to women as well um and that have been working you know in in medicine or in sports science uh but like what are some of the ways that it's that it's not that it doesn't work just to apply a male model to a female athlete or or a woman (laughs) just in general so like an example, a known, I mean, I think there's a lot that we, a lot of cases where we don't know. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> um, we don't know what we, we don't know, know kind of thing. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Um, you know, I think a lot of cases are, um, some obvious ones are things like when hormones have an impact on, on a treatment or an outcome, uh, or, a a, a process, um, that, really should be taken into account. Um, but is, you know, if you, uh, if you only study males, obviously the, uh, estrogen female hormones can't, you know, aren't even a part of the picture, number one. Um, but then number two, like the impact of those hormones on the outcome could really be profound. Um, in some cases, because, um, I mean, I, for example, um, in my lab, we're studying, uh, muscle regeneration from injury mm-hmm. and there is now a fair amount of data to show that muscles, the, the time course of muscle regeneration, how well muscles, um, can heal from an injury, uh, is, uh, influenced by how much more, how much estrogen is and more estrogen generally mm-hmm. is better, faster mm-hmm. healing, better healing, um, Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, without having that as a factor, it's like, you're right. just studying male muscle regeneration. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't even, 
like the the answer you get could be completely different if you were doing the same if you're trying a different a treatment or some other thing if you had the hormones uh overlaid with it so right right so if like so if muscle repair is um is like de- degeneration is slowed down no muscle repair is slowed down by the lack of estrogen is that what i heard you say mm-hmm. yeah so like now i'm thinking okay does that have implications for women in menopause or perimenopause um as we age does it have implications through even through like a regular cycling um through the menstrual cycle it's actually, the yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i think it has implications all of those things it has implications um definitely perimenopause and menopause um it has implications uh, on menstrual cycle for sure. Um, I, I'd actually even uh, use the birth control too, honestly, because birth birth control modulates the, the hormones levels in, in your body. And I know this is a somewhat of a, a big kind of question about uh, birth control use and and controlling uh, menstrual cycles and female athletes. Um, and for sure, like this could have a big impact on their on their injuries and and especially soft tissue injuries and how they can heal and, and all that kind of thing. So, um, yeah, I think that's a really important area of study that, um, you know, I, I think really needs to be figured out in order to help, help improve, help like really, um, empower the female athlete. Yeah. And you might, you know, you might be at step one of learning about this and I'm about to ask a step three question, but like, is there an effect with like synthetic forms of estrogen? that we could take that would then still help our muscles regenerate faster? Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe <laughs> it's possible. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. It's possible. Or, you know, the other ideas would be, um, you know, the other things we're thinking about was, is like, if, if the absence of, there might be ways to modulate like, like best approaches for enhanced healing of muscle Mm. um that to account for the lack of dystrophin i'm not dystrophin i'm sorry i said dystrophin i study dystrophin also and estrogen <laughs> <laughs> so, um, uh like they uh so um yeah so that that's one way to think about it too so perhaps it is estrogen su- supplementation or it could be modulating how best to treat uh, accounting for the presence of estrogen the other thing that we're still trying to figure out is like, is there a too much also, you know, when you're pregnant, there's really elevated left levels of estrogen, other uh, points as well. Um, there may be kind of a Goldilocks phenomenon that, that would also be important to understand. So like sort of too, too high, too low and, and just right kind of thing. Right. Interesting. And to be, and to be clear, like that is something, this is something, what we're talking about is something that, that affects all women as we age. Right. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I mean, all yeah, women. Yeah. Just, yeah. Just athletes. Right? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. All women. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I saw I saw one of your slides on one of your presentations yesterday. It was very interesting that how like sex differences affect us on every level, which is not a surprise, but just seeing that sort of broken down from like basic like from muscle coordination or movement coordination to like the muscular level, like we're talking about to cellular and molecular level. And I've heard Mm -hmm. people say that before, but I've never fully understood, like how do sex differences affect us on all of those different levels? Yeah, that's a good question. So um, a few examples that may be somewhat um, tangible, like if you look at the, you know, composition of muscle, so you're looking at the 
like, so the um, muscle cell is a muscle fiber, right? Um, and then you look within there, then you have all the contractile, like the proteins that allow your muscle to contract and everything. So even if you look at muscles in female versus male, um, there is a trend to have different types of uh, fibers slash kind of proteins within fibers between male and female. Um, I think my understanding is that in, in many muscles, there's trends to be more type one fibers, uh, which are the slower uh, velocity slash a little bit more endurance resistance. So that's, that's somewhat mm, adaptable, but, right. um, but more versus the type two, more explosive power generating fibers, um, mm-hmm. that like overall, that trend tends to be like when you study women and men, you tend to see, uh, that difference. And, you know, a bigger question is where is that coming from? Um, you know, is it really a pure genetic difference and, you know, in the, you know, genetic makeup of male, female, the chromosome difference that may lead to these differences, or is it some sort of adapt, uh, you know, an adaptation over time, different activities? Um, oh, and we don't know the thereof. answer to that? No. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's quite hard to study really, um, right. you know, and it's, uh, but um, you know, there's actually been, maybe I'll, I'll digress just a bit. Um, mm-hmm. uh, there's a lot more biology tools now to better study, like really purely what's leading to differences, uh, sex differences, different like mouse models that have interesting chromosomal combinations that allow you to start to study like what leads to these differences in, uh, mm-hmm. in sex, um, because overlaid on that is obviously the hormone effect too, that is profound um, as well. So, um, you know, the other things, the other thing I was going to mention is uh, women do tend to have more um, like uh, kind of peripheral uh, fat. So, you know, in your muscle, you have a little bit of fat as well and surrounding muscles. Um, mm-hmm. And it's not a bad thing. Uh, you need to just have a little bit, but women tend to have a little bit more than men. Uh, and um, so that can also influence how the muscle can generate force and, and behave. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then even like muscle, you know, if you kind of look at the whole muscle level, women, like I was showing you some data, like I think the presentation you saw was one where we looked at how the relative sizes of muscles, uh, individual muscles across the limb, um, across the leg. And uh, accounting for body size, like one of the biggest challenges that I think that you see when you like you comb the literature to look at like differences between male and female is like, lo and behold, they always say like the male muscle is bigger than the female muscle. Mm-hmm. Well, like no duh. Because <laughs> they're right. bigger. Because like, you know. men are just generally bigger. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. yeah. But so if you, you have to account for body size and look at right. how, um, so like, that's one thing we're really interested in is better understanding. Uh, we call it a scaling relationship, i.e. I. like if you compare, um, you know, a small, even a smaller female, shorter, um, weighs less to a larger female, accounting for that, like how do the muscles vary between them? Because they do get bigger. The bigger you are, the bigger your muscles. But obviously you have to like, you have more body size that you have to propel and, you know, do all the things. So your muscles have to be bigger. Um, Geometrically, they're just going to be bigger. So uh, that's an important thing that um, 
we're trying to do well in my in my research uh, is better account for body size so that we're not just saying like, oh yeah, male bigger than female. <laughs> uh, right. And that so. makes sense. Yeah. Not just for gender, but for other factors as well. Right. Exactly. Because different yeah. people are exactly. different sizes <laughs> just in general. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. I mean, a lot of, um, I mean, this goes to the um, one big project we have is we're uh, trying to change the way uh, uh research is done. So a lot of biomechanists use underlying models of the body to understand movement because you need that. Like you're studying all the external parts of the body, how people are moving, uh, the forces they're, you know, forces up between the ground, the forces they're generating. You want to figure out what's going on inside the body. You need some sort of model because, you know, we can't instrument inside the body. Like we can't stick stuff inside people. So um, so we use com- uh, models of the system. We use models of joints and bones and muscles to try to figure out what's going on. The problem is that the model that everybody's using, for the most part, based on a 5'10 man. Uh, <laughs> and then you take that and then you scale it up and down. So you just kind of assume that everybody's a scaled version of that. So uh, that's a, an important limitation that we're trying to change. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, you know, I want to talk about your business as well, but you know, is that where AI is kind of making a difference in terms of the modeling? Yeah. Yeah. So um, what the AI has done, uh, and this is a, so the AI is, um, uh, so as maybe I'll just take a step back. Um, So that we had, I have a startup company that I co-founded with some colleagues at UVA Mm -hmm. where we've trans, we've commercialized some technology um, to go from an MRI data set to like essentially a full report of people's lower limb musculature, um, all their muscles, essentially using our modeling and, and visualization uh, methods to, to, to provide this detailed analysis of every muscle in the body. Um, and so that has a range of applications. Um, and so when that process to go from MRI to this detailed set of analyses of muscle um, before, when we first started out was all like manual, like people had to do it by hand and it took um, maybe like 50 or 60 hours to do one person. Um, really? So that was a long, yeah. Yeah. A lot. Cause you have to essentially get pictures. You'd probably get like 220 to 250 pictures like slices of the body where you see a whole bunch of muscle because we have a lot of muscle um 30 pretty about 35 per leg um and you have to and the muscles show up in a whole bunch of pictures so you have to outline every single muscle uh so it really takes a, a lot of work um so uh we the ai came in when we said okay once we've done this manually enough times we could use that to it's called train an ai essentially teach uh an ai algorithm how to do it itself by learning from like what the people like what humans had done um that's called supervised learning it's a way to like uh develop a, a an ai model that can like now predict a new thing without so much human uh input so that's the ai has allowed us to do that so now what that's allowed us to do is study many more people because, right. you know, when it takes so long to do one person, yeah. uh, you can only for a research study, you can only do so many. And, you know, back to this whole thing about like, I was saying, um, we only did men because we had sort of limited number, limited availability. Well, some of that was just 
there's only so many people we could do in a reasonable time frame. But now with the AI making that part faster, we can study many more people. And so we can then really delve into the things like how are, what are the differences between sexes? How do we, we can look across a whole range of sizes of people and we can just look at more of the diversity of the population, which I think um, is an important step. What are the outcomes of that process? Like for like an individual demographics health. So like, how does that make women's health better (laughs) or the, on the flip side, I mean, we see it as a, I sort of see it as on a scale, but I probably shouldn't, or like for an athlete, mm-hmm. like how does that help our performance? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'll give an example because I'm going to sort of go across uh, from our, um, so the, at the company it's called Springbok. Um, at Springbok, we are um, uh, working with a lot of athletes, elite athletes. Um, and um, so what we've been able to do at Springbok because we've gathered enough data is now uh, when we so when we do these analyses, we compare them to a normative data set, sort of like a bunch of um, non-athlete healthy people. So now we know like how muscles scale essentially change across right. the population. Mm-hmm. But now we have a sex-specific version, so we can say we know like what's expected for your height and mass for a female, and what's expected for a male. And as I you know we talked about that, that is different; it's not the same. Um, so now like when we work with female athletes, we can compare them against what you expect for, you know, a female of that height and, and, and mass, which I think what we've seen is that really does affect, um, you know, how they might even perceive themselves, but also then how they might figure out like where they need, um, more emphasis in their training or, or, and, or how they are recovering from an injury. So, um that's been really empowering to now really compare women to women. I think that seems obvious, but uh, um, they are totally. Yeah. 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 Endurance sports should be accessible to everyone, right? That's why we are so excited to be partnering with Motive. Motive is one of the fastest growing training apps in the world today with thousands of amateur athletes signing up every month and a nearly perfect 4.9 star rating in the App Store. You are not a template and your training plan should not be either. Prepare for running races, triathlons, cycling events, duathlons, or swim runs, however your season schedule shapes up, and get training written by some of the best coaches in the world in each discipline who know what it takes to help amateur athletes reach their goal on race day. The app takes the training written by those experts and then creates the most optimal training plan for your schedule, abilities, and goals. Plus, the training is fully customized to your race schedule. How much you can train each week, your current abilities, and the goals you want to achieve in your race. You can use the app for free as long as you want or get all the upgraded features from the app for just $19.99 a month. But as a feisty listener, you can sign up at mymotive.com and use the code feisty for two months of full premium access. That's right. You get two months of premium for free. So you quite literally have nothing to lose. 
So head over to mymotive.com, M-Y-M-O-T-T-I-V.com and use the code FEISTY, F-E-I-S-T-Y. And on a personal note, I know the founder of Motive and he is driven to make triathlon and all endurance sports more accessible for the athletes who care about their performance, but who aren't quite ready for a full-time personal coach. If that sounds like you, definitely try the app for two months for free. You literally have nothing to lose. As a lifelong runner and triathlete turned CrossFitter, I am stoked to announce that the athletic eyewear brand Tafosi Optics has joined us as a partner here at Feisty Media. Tafosi sports glasses hit all the marks for athletes. They're shatterproof poly bicarbonate, so the lenses not only reduce glare, but also offer scratch resistance, which I 100% need. They stay in place when you're moving. The hydrophilic rubber nose pads actually get more grippy the more you sweat, so they are secure and don't slide down your face even when you're running in hot conditions. No matter what sport you do, Tafosi has shades for you. Whether you love tennis, fishing, pickleball, running, cycling, or just hanging out on the beach. They are super reasonably priced, which I love, so I can have multiple pairs that go with any outfit. And of course, feisty listeners get a special discount. So head on over to tofosioptics.com and use the code FM20. FM as in Feisty Media to get 20% off your order. That's FM20 at tofosioptics.com. I'll put a link in the show notes to make it easy for you. For decades, running shoes have been researched, tested, and designed for men. Brands have relied on the shrink it and pink it approach to sell male shoes to female customers. That's why we are so excited to be working with Hedas. Hedas designs athletic footwear for women that elevates performance, safety, and style. Hedas unlocks the science behind women's biomechanics through dedicated research, creates better shoes for women that support their longevity and performance, and establishes new design standards to promote transparency in a male biased industry. Hedas have a lower ankle collar to reduce rubbing, a breathable mesh toe box to allow for ventilation and to allow for female toe shape, a special kind of plate in the midsole to keep tired legs going, a narrow heel cup to reduce heel slippage and take the pressure off our Achilles, and a rounded instep to create a snug fit. Hedas has three shoe models designed for different sessions, the Alma Cruise for long runs, the Alma Tempo for training days, and the Alma Speed for pushing the pace. I've personally been running in the Alma Cruise and I love them. It's the shoe I always wanted and never knew I needed. The fit is perfect in every way. You can get your own pair of Hedas at Hedas.com and use the code FEISTY20 for 20% off. That's FEISTY20 at Hedas.com and it will all be in the show notes. Yeah. And how did you, like, how did um, Springbok Analytics, like, how did it come about? Uh, yeah. So we, it was really like, we had developed this technology in the lab 
um, and explored a few applications. And, um, you know, we, to some degree, got, uh, we had a lot of positive feedback um, that, well, you might actually have something here that maybe not just a research tool that, you know, it's a great research tool, but maybe it's something that could make an impact on the outside world. Um, it's not, it's becoming more and more common for people in, in academia settings to think about taking something to develop and, and commercializing it as a startup. Um, but so we decided to give it a go <laughs> to say, okay, well, we think that this could be useful. Um, and, um, you know, it took a lot, like it takes a lot to take something that's a research oriented thing and turn it into a commercializable kind of technology or, or a product. Um, so that took a lot of time. We got some grants from, from the uh, U.S. government um, to help, you know, get going. They have some really cool ways to help startups get going with their technology. And so we, so we got to the point that now we're working with a lot of different teams and we have, um, you know, it's, it's been exciting to see where it's gone, but for sure. Um, uh, yeah. It's, uh, it's, a, and, um, we're definitely, I, I am particularly excited about, um, more and more applications in whether it be female sports or, or kind of women's performance in general. I think there's a lot of opportunities, uh, there that, um, where we can have a real, yeah. really big impact. Yeah. I'd love to hear like, what are some of those opportunities? What do you see as the potential for in particular for the technology that you work with? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, back to, um, back to the female athlete, I think, um, you know, it's been exciting to see so much more emphasis on, um, you know, there's a lot more research, a lot more, uh, interest in helping better understand and better develop like female specific, uh, strategies for whether it be recovering from injury or, mm -hmm. um, uh, improving performance, maintaining performance, training, all the different things. Well, I think our technology really empowers that because, uh, you don't have to assume something about what the person's, in our case, musculature looks like. Right. You know, you don't have to say, okay, based on, because otherwise, uh, when you're trying to figure out how, you know, where somebody's weaknesses lie or, or whatnot, you actually, you're kind of observing them from the outside and assuming something about the inside. Uh, well, we don't, you don't have to do that. So now you can really see what the female athlete looks like and you can address that person specifically, um, as compared to the female, um. So I, I think just that in general can really help women really like um, tailor training appropriately to themselves uh, rather than doing something that's maybe sort of one size fits all. Um, I think uh, there's particular areas that I'm, I'm specifically interested in. Uh, one is um, postpartum recovery too. Like I think there's a lot, lot of now better understanding about the influence, like the importance of like essentially healing and recovery from, uh, from giving birth, um, and for specifically with muscles, um, you know, whether it be the pelvic floor muscles, if you have a natural birth or even the, the um, abdominal muscles, if you have a, um, a, a C-section or just in, in general, the impact of pregnancy on the, your musculature, I think is is important. And that's something that we're really excited to like potentially kind of integrate is 
is helping better kind of target physical therapy um, postpartum. Yeah. And if you think um, back to the elite athlete, like if you think of a lot of training, endurance training, like I used to do, is it just Mm -hmm. this constant cycle of muscle breakdown? You hope you don't take it too far (laughs) and then you, Mm -hmm. and then you go again. Right. So if, like if our timing on that slightly off, or if there's ways that we can recover better from those, from every training session, it's mind blowing to me how much faster we could potentially improve at our sports. Right. Am I, am I delusional or is that right? <laughs> no, no, that's right. That's right. Uh, the other thing I was, I, that's totally right. The other thing I was going to mention is um, the nutrition aspect actually um, is something that we're, um, I think we're seeing is, is, uh, like intersect with what we're doing really well, because, you know, obviously, um, you know, as you're training, you're trying to optimize your nutrition to increase muscle mass, um, you know, efficiently. (laughs) Um, And uh, the challenge that, you know, the thing that we see sometimes in, and we've seen it in some female athletes is actually uh, when you're strength training, you really do have to um, have enough nutritional uh, input. Otherwise, even though you're strengthening mm. some muscles, you're actually, we, sometimes we see other muscles get smaller and weaker, um, oh, really? maybe not externally noticeable, but yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and so I think especially for, um, you know, and I think that's different for female versus male, just all the metabolic differences and everything. Um, so that's another thing that I think would be is important. Yeah. Why is that? Do you think is that if, if we take in protein does it help like specifically how how do we stop this muscle shrinking (laughs) you know yes you have to eat more protein okay (laughs) you know one way to think about it is that if you are um you know you're building protein you're adding protein to a certain muscle so that has to come from somewhere (laughs) and so if it's not enough from uh from what you're eating then it's gonna essentially steal from something else um yeah which is fascinating, isn't it? It's kind of intuitive, but, um, but for sure, that's something that, um, I I think this sort of, uh, you know, intersection between like the training and nutrition and the the muscle health is, is one that, um, is, is very important. I think will help like women stay healthy for longer. Right. And I, you know, we've been, we have a, an online course called fueled, um, and we talk a lot about how much protein women need to have in particular as we age too, and go into perimenopause and menopause. And I don't, I've never heard that about, I've heard related to hormones and needing to have more protein for muscle recovery, but I've never heard that, that women are more likely to have, like take that protein from another muscle when we're trying to build strength. <laughs> like, well, no. I will say, I think that phenomenon can happen in men too. I, I right. don't think it's specific, but we, we see it like in practice happening with more in women. And I think maybe it's just like, um, it's men, maybe it's the athletes that we're studying, whatever it is, tend to have better protein intake. It could just be well, that. Like, yeah. And we have like, seen more yeah. low energy availability in women too. T- right. typically, mm-hmm. you know, on average, yep. again, that obviously that can happen mm-hmm. in men, those types of things right. where I think there's an intersection between things that, yeah. are, that are happening. Like and cultural again, that's, and, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that's how we need to study women. (laughs) Exactly. Yes. We need to study women because that's like all those things matter. Um, And we could actually really change, uh, 
you know, change culture as well. If we really better understand like the impact of, of being low energy or, or not um, having enough uh, protein. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Are there outcomes from what you're seeing in, in your research or in your colleagues' research for um, more for medicine or for, for health broadly? Yeah. I mean, we, we do, uh, one other area that we're, um, interested in is like helping better, um, recovery from injury, but also surgeries, for example, mm. like ACL repair. Um, obviously mm. when you have an, uh, like a major surgery like that, it impacts your muscles, um, for sure. And, um, so we're interested, like, and interestingly, um, it's not just the muscles that you think of. Like most people think, okay, your quads after you have an ACL are going to get weak because they're kind of inhibited. Actually, your body doesn't want to use them for a little while, but actually we see other muscles affected. So we're really um, excited to help fuel like the recovery from uh, different types of surgery. Uh, so that's one natural one. We also, um, another one like, uh, like that is like, shoulder, um, assessing shoulder muscles and, and people that have rotator cuff tears and helping better understand, uh, or better predict outcomes of those surgeries. Um, another one we're actually kind of exploring now is, uh, muscle wasting in mm. diseases in particular in cancer. Um, mm. how, uh, assessing muscle health over time and how, uh, especially nutritional interventions influence um, muscle wasting and in these various conditions. So lots of, lots of different things. <laughs> wow. But, um, yeah. Yeah. So interesting. And what do you see like in the future for women's performance in particular related to some of the tech trends that you're seeing? Like, what do you see for the future of our health or even for women's performance in sports too? Like, do you see us continuing because I know that women are improving on average more in a lot of sports like faster I'd say in a lot of sports than the men are mm-hmm. do you see that continuing yeah. yes yes mm-hmm. for sure yeah no doubt um I mean one of my so um what I think that's so interesting to me is um even if you if you track like um like speeds like um you know like the um the 100 meter time right um and the olympics male and female um what you're tending to look at, like if you wanted to compare them you might look at the same year like what the record is right and of course the male is faster than the female but it's actually shifted um, like hmm. if you looked back in time there is a point in time where the male time was the same as the female the time now right um which makes sense like female women weren't doing these things like it took a lot longer till women participate were actively many women participating in sports. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it would make sense that like we haven't evolved and grown into like that level of, of performance. So um yeah, yeah, no, I mean I think for sure. Like it um I'm a huge fan of of women's elite sports. I'm a huge like back to tennis. I'm a I'm a, t- I'm a tennis player. I love I'd like a total WTA nerd. I, I follow all the players and, um, I've looked at, like, I like to study like their different, um, uh, you know, performance measures, but like, you know, women are, are right in there. Um, you know, in terms of like, even like basic metrics, like a forehand speed, 
Um, there's some women that are like outperform hit it faster than the men for sure. Um, there, there's all sorts of stuff like that. So, um, yeah, no, I think the the female sports is like, it's like, I feel like it's hit an inflection point. And, yeah, um, it has. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it's really exciting to see. I love it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I've, you know, I've never really, as much as I think about women's performance all the time, I've never really thought about it in terms of the AI factor in terms of like how we can correlate information. I mean, put it into a machine and have it spit out and it spit out more information that we could have had before. And then also, you know, the fact that we're only now kind of asking questions about like more questions about women and researching women more. And I think yeah. you said, you know, we were talking before the show that you're seeing more kind of grad students come through who are female and asking questions about women. Um, what kinds of questions are like the next generation? Like what kinds of questions are they asking for, in, in terms of the research that you see? Yeah, no, I mean, running the gamut, but definitely many like the female grad students are really interested in women's health as a whole, like they, whether it's because they've experienced something or somebody in their family or whatever it is, they just, it's more, um, resonates with them, but they, and they, they also, they're really smart. They see, they see gaps and they don't think it's right. Um, especially this gen, like the younger generation is very like astute to like kind of justice and, um, and wanting to do good in the world. And I think they see that, you know, like even, um, you know, maternal health is just like abysmal still for our, uh, in our, you know, in the U S yeah. And a lot of that is because it's just been under, under, um, essentially studied or, um, lack of focus on, on, on women's health issues. So, you know, the next generation's like, that's not cool. Like we need to solve that. And that, you know, and there's, there's just a, it's great to have opportunities uh, for impact too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But. So great. Well, I'm so excited about the research you're doing. Um, thank you for like, you know, the time that you take to ask the right questions. Um, and also, you know, even this company, Springbok Analytics, it sounds like there's a lot of exciting futures for female health and performance. So thank you so much. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you for having me.